Good morning and uh, welcome to chapel this morning. It's my great pleasure to uh, welcome many of you who are here from the community and joining us this morning. Thank you and you're very welcome here. And then I'm also very excited to welcome um, two guests who are with us this week, Shane Claiborne and Chris Lahr from the Simple Way community in Philadelphia. So thank you for being here with us this week. It's great to have you. Shane will be speaking with us this morning um, in this chapel and again on chapel in, on Friday. He will also be speaking on Thursday night at um, downtown 808 um, at 7 p.m. And you are all most welcome to join us there. We invite you to uh, bike down. We're trying to make this a don't drive week as much as possible. So um, hop on your bike and join us down at downtown 808 for 7 p.m. And then Shane, will also be, Shane and Chris will also be back on campus at 9.30 p.m. Thursday night for a time of informal question and answer um, and conversation in the RFC classrooms, 104, 105. So if you can join us for all or just a few, um, we're happy to have you join us. There will also be, as way of announcements, book sales and um, pins and other things from the Simple Way community and from Shane's writings out in the hallway um, after chapel both days as well as Thursday night at the various events I mentioned. So a little bit about Shane. Um, Shane Claiborne is a founding partner of the Simple Way community. And you'll probably tell us quite a bit more about the community as we spend the week together. But I thought I would share just a little bit, little bit about what their community um, says about themselves on their website by way of introduction. The Simple Way community's mission is to love God, love people, and to follow Jesus. They write that each of us is created for community and in the image of community. And yet everything in the world tries to rob us of this divine gift. The life of the simple way is the story of that struggle to love and to be loved. The most radical thing we can do is to choose to love each other again and again. At the simple way there, little revolution is lived out locally as days are spent feeding hungry folks, doing collaborative arts with children, running a community store, hanging out with neighbors, and reclaiming trash-strewn lots by planting gardens. Shane and The Simple Way do a lot of work to expose the fundamental structures that create poverty and to imagine alternatives to them. In addition to being a part of The Simple Way, Shane is the author of a number of books, including The Irresistible Revolution and Jesus for President, co-author of that one. And Shane also spent three weeks in Iraq in 2003 as part of the Iraq peace team, which served as a witness to the military bombardment of Baghdad. So that's just a little bit about Shane and the community, and we look forward to hearing more from him this morning as he shares with us on the scandal of grace or whatever, and whatever else we may may come up with. So as we enter into worship together this morning, I invite you to join me in an opening prayer. Creator God, as we greet this morning, we give you thanks for the beautiful skies, the fresh breezes, and the signs of a coming spring. God, we acknowledge to you that today is a gracious gift. Help us to greet this day and to come to it with a sense of gratitude. 
Be present with us in this place as we hear Shane's words and his stories. May you speak through him and guide us as we continue to seek out what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to turn together and sing the journey, the green book, to number 13 for our opening song.
Well, it's sure good to be with you, and uh, I'm glad to have traveled out with one of my close friends and partners for the last 10 years, uh, Chris Lahr here. We came out from the fine city of Philadelphia. It's, it means a city, city of love, you know that, right? Um, one of my friends, though, he was telling me about uh, uh, the first time he got mugged in Philadelphia. Most of us have been mugged in Philadelphia, and uh you can tell I'm a Tennessee boy, so I, I saw, a lot of this was new to me. He said, but the first time I got mugged was, uh, it was really weird. The guy came up, and he, he stole my wallet, so I got ready to take off, you know, running. And, uh, and, and But the guy yelled at him and said, come back. Uh, he said, I don't want to inconvenience you. I just want the money. I'll, I'll give you your license and credit cards back. <laughs> After all, this isn't New York City. It's Philadelphia, brother, you know. <laughs> So that's our city. We're proud of it. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have a few days here and uh, to, to really open up a conversation. I, I think uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of time to talk back. Uh, but this morning, I, I just wanted to spend some time thinking about, about Jesus' imagination. Because uh, I think these are wild times to be alive, where we're, we're going to need to be creative with how we live. And it's a fun opportunity to imagine what it means to live in the world and what it means to be about the way of Jesus. Um, and, and the cool thing about Jesus, I think, is he's, he's always uh, got these really beautiful ways of living, you know. And he's always doing weird stuff, you know. Uh, and like one, uh, at one point, the tax collectors come up and they ask uh, Peter, does, do you guys pay your taxes? And Jesus' response is just brilliant, you know. He goes, oh, tell the tax collectors to go get a fish and it'll have a four drachma coin in its mouth. <laughs> That's awesome, you know. Fish don't usually have coins in their mouth. You know, I, I think it was kind of saying, oh, Caesar, Caesar can have his coins. I made the fish. What? You know, uh, uh, and uh, as Dorothy Day of uh, the Catholic Worker said, once it calls into question what is Caesar's and what is God's. After all, once we've given to God what's God's, there's not much left for Caesar. And I, I, I love that response. Try that in April here when they come for your taxes. But, you know, there, there's one uh, scene that I wanted to look at in particular where Jesus is asked one of those tough questions. And his response is just brilliant. This is in Luke uh, chapter 7. Now just to set the scene a little bit, G uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, uh, got locked up. He got in a little trouble with old King Herod. So he's in jail, and he sends his disciples out to ask Jesus a very specific question. John's disciples are to ask Jesus, are you the one that we've all been waiting for, or should we expect somebody else? Uh, and, and it's this phrase from the prophet Isaiah that connotated the, the, the Messiah, the one who was to come and change the world. You know, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Now listen to this. This is Jesus' response. In, John, uh, in Luke 7, verse 20, it says, When John's disciples came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one that we've all been waiting for, or should we expect someone else? Now at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to the blind. So Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. 
I love that answer. You know, like, are you the one that we've all been waiting for? And he pretty much goes, you tell me. You know, like, like go tell John uh, what you see and what you hear. It's an invitation to sort of read the trail of crumbs behind him, isn't it? And, and it's so fascinating because uh, I think anybody could walk around saying that they're the Messiah, and, and many did, but very few could show it. You know, and it's very typical of Jesus that you don't see him coming up to people going, Hi. I'm the Son of God. In your name? You know, like, uh, he, 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 in fact, a lot of times when people figure it out, he, he, he says, shh, keep it on the down low. You know, <laughs> don't go cramming it down people's throat. And, 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 and one theologian said so well, from this we can learn that Christianity spreads best not through force, but through fascination. And, and that seems to be what Jesus is doing. Very rarely do you see him commanding people to worship, but he invites everybody to follow and to taste and see. And as they follow, they begin to worship, not because they have to, but because they want to. And I, I think we, uh, in the church, we have a lot to learn from that, you know, because at least for me, uh, we, we loved cramming it down people's throats, you know. And I, I grew up in the Bible Belt where we had a lot of words uh, with our Christianity, but very little to share show for it. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like, and, and it makes me ask, if people uh, were to uh, ask us, uh, are you a Christian? Can we respond as Jesus did? You tell me. Tell me what you see and what you hear. Do you see anything that follows me, that, that reminds the world of God's love, and that allows people to taste of God's goodness? And unfortunately, I think what many people have experienced in the church has often not reminded them of Jesus. There's a study that came out uh, this past year by the Barna Research Group where they interviewed people outside of the church, folks outside of Christianity in every state in the U.S., and they asked them simply, what are your perceptions of Christians? And this is them. Number one, from people outside the church, they thought Christians are anti-gay. That's number one. Number two, Christians are judgmental. And number three, Christians are hypocrites. We got a little bit of an image crisis, you know, <laughs> and, and much of it's well-deserved, right? It's what people have seen. I love when Gandhi said, they, they said, are you a Christian? He said, oh, I love Jesus. I just wish the Christians took him more seriously. As one of my friends said, we've given the atheists less and less to disbelieve in. You know, we, we, we've, the largest cause of unbelief is Christians who have pronounced God so loudly with our mouths and had so little to show with our lives, so, so little to allow people to taste of God's goodness. And I still catch little glimpses of, of this goofiness. You know, I, I speak a lot, and there was one congregation uh, that I was talking at. I better not mention its name. But uh, the, the pastor came up to me beforehand. He said, I just want to make sure you notice something. And he came up beforehand to point out that there were two gay men that had come in holding hands. And they were sitting on the front row. He said, I, I just want to make sure you, you saw that so you can say something about it if you want to. And uh, I told the pastor, I, I said, I'm not sure exactly what you have in mind. Uh, I, I would want to begin by saying that I'm really glad they felt welcome in your church. 
that wasn't what he had in mind, you know. But I, I kept I kept rolling with it, and I was like, Pastor, if I were going to humiliate these fellows, like, I, would you also want me to ask everybody that's been divorced uh, and remarried to stand up, you know? Would you maybe next week we could put bouncers at the door and they could ask everybody, Have you been prideful or greedy this week? You know, we'll just get everybody out of here that's broken or you know figuring it out. And uh, and then uh, he, he wasn't real happy with that, but I said, We'll be we'll be left with a much more manageable crowd you know maybe a dozen people up up front uh but then i said but don't worry i'll remind them if they manage to get in they must all be liars and they can get out too you know um (laughs) but i sometimes wonder you know how did we get here i mean we we have a a jesus that, that says he came for the broken not for folks that have it all together he came for folks that are burnt out that are hurt that are marginalized and it's that which I think people have to see and taste. And, and it, the Christianity that I grew up with was just about becoming a believer, you know, and that was a lot of our language. And, and I, be- I think that what we believe is very important. But the more I read Scripture, I saw that even the demons believe. And the Scriptures say that we can have faith to move mountains and speak in the tongues of men and of angels and do all sorts of miracles and prophecies and surrender our very bodies to the flames. But if we don't have love, if we don't have love, then it's, it's empty and meaningless. And, and, and in Jesus, we don't just see a presentation of ideas, but we see an invitation to join a movement that is embodying God's love in the world. So as I started looking around going, my gosh, where do you see somebody that's, that's really doing that? You know, where, where is somebody that's not just believing but following, that, that's really giving everything to, 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 to God's love? And uh, I, I, we, we really liked Mother Teresa a lot. You know, she, was, uh, she seemed to be giving it a pretty good shot. Uh, so we, we wrote her a letter and we just said, listen, we don't know if you give internships over there in Calcutta. But we would love to come work with you. We think we have a lot to learn about God's love from you. And uh, we waited and waited. And I'm not real patient, so eventually we just started calling some nuns on the phone to try to get a hold of her number, you know. And uh, I'm like, yeah, uh, trying to get a hold of Mother Teresa. You got some digits, you know. And then these sisters, they were very friendly, but uh, they were I think they thought we were prank callers. And, and then eventually I talked to this one sister that says, okay, I'll let you talk to the head nun here in the convent. Her, her name is Mother Superior. And I'm like... I'm stoked to talk to anybody with superior in their name, right? So I, I talked to Mother Superior, and I, I asked her if we can come over uh, to Calcutta, and, and, and we, but we needed to call first, and, and she gave us a number for India. And I did a little research, found out it was $4 a minute. And uh, so I, I call, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'll make this quick, you know, $4 a minute. So I, I call, and I'm expecting just sort of a polite greeting like, missionaries of charity. How can we help you, you know? Uh, no such thing. I, just this raspy old voice answers the phone. Just, hello! I'm thinking I got the wrong number, $4 a minute. So I talk quick. And I'm like, I'm calling from the United States. We're trying to get a hold of the missionaries of charity or Mother Teresa or someone over there. I'm wanting to come over to Calcutta and work. Can you help me? You know? And, uh, and then I just hear her say, well, this is the missionaries of charity. This is Mother Teresa. Yeah, and I'm like, and I'm the Pope. You know, what are you talking about? Uh, and, and so I, I, I say, well, can we come work with you? And she says, yeah, come on out. Uh, she didn't have a southern accent, but, you know, come on out. And, and then I start asking, you know, what I, 
I think are logical follow-up questions. I'm like, well, great. Uh, where are we going to sleep? What are we going to eat? And Mother Teresa didn't worry a lot about that, so she just says, well, God takes care of the lilies and the sparrows. God will take care of you. <laughs> I don't know how you argue with that, you know. So we, <laughs> we just went over, and we did. We lived this adventure. Uh, Chris and his family have been there. A lot of us in Philly, we went over and we learned. We learned about how to sacrifice our, ourselves for the cause of Jesus and the, to to come near to the poor. As Mother Teresa said, in the poor we can see Jesus in his most distressing disguises. And we begin to, to experience that. And, and you know, sometimes people will, will say, oh, you worked with Mother Teresa. You know, did she shine? Like, no. I mean, sister wasn't a nightlight. You know, she was just an incredible, beautiful little woman about that big and, and just hunched over. You know, you just wanted to squeeze her but not break her, you know. And, and um, but there, there's there's one thing that I'll never forget about Mother Teresa, and that is her feet. You see, her her feet were terribly deformed. Um, and, and, and I noticed because whenever we would go into worship, we would take our shoes off. It was just the way that, that we did it there. We would take our shoes and socks off and go into the worship space barefoot as we, we worship God there. And, and uh, I noticed that her feet were deformed, and I wondered if maybe she had caught leprosy or something. Uh, of course, I wasn't about to ask her, you know, what's up with that? Like, like this is Mother Teresa. But one day, one of the sisters came up, and she said, have you noticed her feet? And I said, yeah, yeah, I have. And she said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough shoes donated for everybody to get a pair. And so she doesn't want someone to have to wear a worse pair than she has. So she digs through all of the donations and she finds the worst pair of shoes and she wears them. And after years and years of wearing the worst pair of shoes, it's deformed her feet. My gosh, don't, don't you think, my, what would the world look like if we really took this command uh, to love our neighbor as ourselves uh, to that extreme? If we, if we really took the, 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 the scriptures that say to honor the needs of others above our own like that. And, and uh, it shamed all of my short-term mission trips, you know, where you go in your closet and you get all the worst stuff, you know, because you're giving it to the poor and they need it. And Mother Teresa would say, don't you dare. When you give to the poor, you go in your closet and you get the very best stuff, the things you think you can't live without because you're giving it to Jesus in his most distressing disguises in the least of these. And it wasn't just Mother Teresa that taught us that, you know, it was these kids that we, we would have these street parties for the, the kids that were orphans and, and on the street, some of the kids that were eight or ten years old that would beg all day long in order to survive. And um, we, we would open up the fire hydrants and turn flips and blow bubbles and just have these street parties. And there was one day where we were having one of those, and one of the kids that I had grown real close to, it was his birthday. And uh, so I, I decided, well, we got to get him a birthday present, you know, and I, I go get him. I think what better to get him than an ice cream cone because it's about 120 degrees. So I get him an ice cream, and I have no idea when he had had ice cream before because as soon as he gets it, he just stares at it and shakes. He's just stunned. You know, he's like, and then his instinct is, this is too good to keep for myself. So he yells at all the other kids, and he goes, we've got ice cream! And he lines them up, and he goes, everybody gets a lick! And he goes down the line, he's like, your turn. Your turn. You know, full circle back to me, and he goes, Shane, you get a lick too. 
I got this whole spit phobia thing going, you know, so I, I, I'm kind of, I fake a lick. I'm like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> Butterscotch. He's like, no, it's vanilla, you know, but anyway, like, uh, that, that kid knew the secret, you know, he knew the secret that Mother Teresa knew, that Jesus knew. The best thing to do with the best things in life is to give them away and not to keep them for ourselves. And yet that flew in the face of everything that I had seen in our culture and in our world and even in the church with this self-centered, blessing-obsessed gospel of prosperity that's about if you give a dollar, you'll get a hundred. And it's about finding your best life and becoming a better you and all this stuff. If we're not careful with our infatuation with ourselves, we lose the secret of Jesus, which is if you want to find your life, you got to give it away. It's, it's what we're made for. And it's that which we, we have continued to try to figure out in Philadelphia. Mother Teresa had a great line where she would say that Calcuttas are everywhere. If we'll only have eyes to see, find your Calcutta. You don't have to go across the world to find the poor or the hurting. We just need to pray that God would give us the eyes to see the people around us, to see the hurting, the pain that's near to us and the courage to respond to that. And, and we, we started this community in Philly 10 years ago. We've been trying to figure that out ever since. But I, I think what's been so exciting is to see that this is a call not just to believe something, but it's a call to embody God's goodness in our neighborhoods and in our world. So we live in community. It's about a communal embodiment. And you kind of create this critical mass, you know, that, that's doing things a little different from the culture around us. And uh, uh, the, the, the Scripture is about this idea that God is forming a people who are different from the patterns of the world around them, different from the empire from which they came. And, and so we've seen God sort of forming us into that, and I'm excited to talk about what that means with you. And, and that's part of why I like the Amish, is uh, we got a lot of Amish folks uh, outside of Philly, just like you, you all do here. And I think the Amish have a, a sense of what it means to be peculiar in the world, to be people who are holy or set apart, who are living different from the patterns around us. And, uh, you know, you can almost hear the kids growing up. Uh, Mom, why do we dress like this? You know, and, and their parents going, well, because we're a little different. We got a different story from the world around us. We, we dress very plainly because our beauty doesn't come from what we wear, but from who we are. And you can hear the, the kids going, uh, Dad, why don't we drive cars? You know, horses are so 1800s. And, and, uh, uh, and, and, and being told, well, we're, we're a little different from the world around us. There's all kinds of problems with the world that we live in, the society we're in. And, and some of them are connected to the cars and the quickness. And, and, so, and you hear that story. And, and in light of that, it's no surprise maybe uh, to understand why they, they responded in the way that they did after the school shooting, right? Just a, a couple hours from us in, in Philly when this uh, deranged, hurting man came into their school and shot the kids and then turned the gun on himself. You remember this, right? And yet uh, their response was so unbelievable. They went to the, 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 the family of the one who killed their kids and said, is there anything that we can do for you? Uh, folks began to pour out money to the Amish families and they created scholarships for the children of the one who killed their kids. And then the funerals came around and they went to the, the funeral of their own kids, but then they also went to the children 
uh, went, went to the, fa- the funeral of the, of, of the one who had killed them. And I was across the world. I was in Australia speaking. And w- what made headline news in Australia wasn't uh, just the, the terror of what happened. What made headline news in Australia was amazing grace. The story of the response of the Amish. It absolutely fascinated the world with grace. And it came from that witness that they had been formed into a people different from the world around them that can say, tell us what you see and what you hear. And people see something that reminds them uh, of Jesus. And I think what's exciting about the time that we're living in is that there's that imagination happening everywhere. Almost like it, it's, it almost has to happen, you know, because uh, that, the, 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 the recession, I think, is an opportunity for us to, to think creatively about how we live and to think about maybe God has a different pattern in mind than the pattern of Wall Street where CEOs are making 400 times their workers and where if we continued to live into the patterns in which we live now we'd need four more planets you know maybe God has a different dream and so folks are asking those questions and 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 that's not to 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 trivialize the pain and the suffering that that many are going to feel during it but I I think what's fun is we we can have some creativity with how we live and um there's a group that, uh, of Christians that taught me that. Uh, it's just a, a, a small, poor congregation where many of the folks didn't have medical care, like 48 million people in this country, right, did, just were suffering because they don't have proper medical care. Uh, but this congregation did something funny. They said, we can't wait for people in Washington, D.C. to solve all these problems, right? We've we got we to gotta begin to bear each other's burdens and to be the church uh, uh, together. And so what they did was they, they began to... to uh, uh, every month put out a newsletter of who's in the hospital so that they could be praying for each other and then they would pass their money together and they would cover each other's medical bills and that vision grew so rapidly it went it started as 400 but now it's 20,000 of us I'm one of them and we get a newsletter every month of who's in the hospital so we can pray for each other and we put our money together and over the last 20 years we've met 450 million dollars in medical bills of each other. And this is the kind of stuff that the church has, has been at its best. This is what Mennonites have been doing forever. You know, and, and so a part of what I think we, we, we do is we say, how do we live in ways that can embody God's goodness? And not just for ourselves, but for the poor. So that, that, that we can say this gospel is good news to the poor and the marginalized. And, and uh, uh, just to give you one other glimpse of that, we went on this little tour around the country. So I got all kinds of fresh good stories of communities doing great stuff. We, we did this tour called Jesus for President. And uh, incidentally, one of the stories that we tell is about the Amish. It's called Amish for Homeland Security. <laughs> what would it look like? You know, uh, but, but the, the, and these, these stories are happening everywhere. And what we, what we did was we traveled in a, a bus that ran off vegetable oil. So we'd pull up, you know, to the local little Indian restaurant or whatever. Or if we were real desperate, we'd go to Arby's and say, hey, what are you doing with that grease? You know, and we'd fill our van up. And we drove 11,000 miles, a pretty cheap ride. But we, we got to see all that God's doing around the, the, the country. And there's this one little community along the border between the U.S. and Mexico. 
And these folks became very concerned about the, the crisis that so many asylum seekers and immigrants are feeling. And, and so they began to set up these Christian hospitality houses along the border, and they're welcoming folks into their homes. And then they, they, they had these, these great little sanctuary houses. But then they said, this isn't uh, just something we need to keep internally, though. We're meant to be a witness in the world, so we got to get out. And, and so they began these worship services along the border of the U.S. and Mexico. So they would invite Mexican Christians to come and they would walk until they could walk no further because of the wall. And then they were met by Christians from the U.S. that that would gather on the other side of the fence. And they would worship Jesus and then they would serve each other communion by throwing it over the wall. I love it. It is that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail, that we are a people that are busting through all of the walls and fences and picket fences and cul-de-sacs and and gates that we build to hold the other out. We are a people of radical hospitality and grace. But it doesn't just begin with the big stuff, does it? I think it, it begins with the hospitality of welcoming people into our homes, that these great ideas like reconciliation and, and all of that, they, they don't make their way into our big rooms until they make their way into our dinner tables and our homes and uh, probably the the neatest community that I saw that expressed that was this little group of folks that had they had all kinds of different people old young all different colors of skin coming in and out of their house and I said how did all this start and and this family told me their story it was a married couple and they said you know we had sort of bought into the American dream and we had moved out and we we were pretty lonely though we found ourselves pretty lonely and one day we were walking through our neighborhood and they told me the story they were walking through their neighborhood and they met this woman who was six months pregnant and homeless and they just said, this can't be, you know, and so they invited her into their home and they began to, 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 to live together. And, and they told this woman that as a married couple, they had never been able to have children and they had always wanted to. So if she wanted to have her baby while she lived in that home, they, they would love that. So she ended up having her kid in that home and they continued to live together. And, and they told this woman after they had lived together for a few years, they said, we're getting to live one of our dreams, which is to have a child and if you wanted to go uh, like live one of your dreams maybe we could help you do that and she said you know what I've always wanted to be a nurse so they said, will you go to nursing school? We'll take care of your little baby. And they, she went to nursing school, took her classes, became a nurse. And, and, and they continued to live together. And now uh, they, they've lived together for over 10 years. That little girl that was born in their homes becoming a teenager. And th- that formerly homeless woman is a nurse. And the, the, the end of the story is that the woman of the married couple that opened their home up she contracted multiple sclerosis and she began to die. But she had a nurse that was taking care of her as she died. And as you, you look at their family, you see something that can only be explained because it is the very Spirit of God at work. It's a family not born of the flesh, but born of the Spirit. And it begins very small, like a mustard seed, and works its way into the world. So I, I, I'm excited to dream about what that can look like in our lives and to hear what it looks like right here.
And I think in all of it too, we, we always remember that the things that we do are not so that people will say how good we are, you know, like, uh, but the, the, so that they can taste and feel how good God is. That's what we want people to, to be able to see and taste is how good is our God. And I, I heard one preacher say this real well. He said, sometimes we get the, the, the complex maybe that the, the, the donkey had as he rode Jesus into Passover. You know, maybe that donkey was riding Jesus in and heard all the action acclamations and started to think a little something about himself you know and uh seeing the palm branches and the hosannas that donkey might have been like all right you know and uh and and then this preacher said but but it's not about the donkey right it's about the one who rode the donkey we're just the asses that get to bring jesus in we're just the asses that get to bring jesus in but what a gift it is that we are invited to carry the kingdom of God and to embody God's love and grace in the world. May it be so. Thank you, Shane, for your um, words and stories of grace and of challenge. And as a response, I'm going to invite us to join in a closing song. And I really invite you to treat this as a prayer and a time of reflection as we um, ponder all the many good things uh, Shane left us with. Please stand and turn in the purple Sing the Storybooks to number 16, Peace Before Us. We will be singing verses 1 through 5 and not number 6. 